Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, but especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. We'll be touching both upon the need for racial justice, for racial healing during the course of our program, and and also um, the coronavirus. And uh, all that we're facing in the world this day should hopefully bring us closer to God. But as we do each week, I'd like to begin our program with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. Jesus stood in the doorway of the home of his friend Simeon. He watched the women pass slowly by on their way for water, and he seemed lost in thought. Simeon looked at Jesus with great concern and said, Master, is it not time for you to marry? Why do you ask? Jesus said, I have much work to do for my father. Simeon shook his head and replied, but man should not be alone. Jesus thought for a while and then answered, but I'm never lonely. Alone, yes, but lonely only at times when I want to be lost with my own thoughts. Simeon said, let's sit and talk. When I lost my wife, I was filled with remorse. There was so much unsaid by me, and yet I have often thought of the many wonderful moments we had together. But there are times, Master, when I am filled with great sadness. Tears no longer flow, and I almost wish not to hear laughter, the sound of children to play, women gossiping at the well. And yes, I have to admit, I become so lonely and no one knows how deep the loneliness is in my heart. I cannot express myself. Jesus stopped him and said, Simeon, we are all lonely at times, but loneliness, joy, happiness, and sadness are human feelings experienced by every man, woman, and child. This is a gift. Simeon became angry, got up and said, what do you mean a gift? Jesus answered, because you are not sad all the time, nor do you always have joy. Feelings come and go like the seasons. There is a time when there is fruit on the trees, and there is a time when they are bare. Simeon thought for a while and then said to Jesus, loneliness then can be a form of healing. In many ways, Jesus said, 
in many ways. Part of what we'll be talking about um, this evening. But our guest this evening writes in his latest book titled, Wait with God. Wait with me. Wait with me. Meeting God in loneliness. The invitations God gives us in loneliness in Scripture bring us to Jesus who says, wait with me. Jesus embraced loneliness and isolation deeper and more profoundly than we know. He embraced the call to leave an eternal home of intimacy, sufficiency, and potency to become helpless, vulnerable, killable. Jesus was driven into the desert where he became famished with hunger before being tempted by the accuser himself. Jesus regularly resisted the urge to grasp after power, privilege, or prestige, choosing instead to cling to God's word and will, even to death. Jesus' teaching revealed a profound attentiveness. His parables, sayings, and actions regularly call out for those who have ears to listen deeply. Jesus grieved deeply, not only at the death of his friend, but also at the hardness of heart he encountered in Jerusalem. The author of those words and many others is our guest this, mor this morning, show, this evening, is uh, Jason Gabering. Uh, he's a regional ministry director with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He also is an Anglican friar, the Anglican Order of Preachers. He has contributed to a number of books, including uh, Drama Team Handbook. He and his wife, Sophia, live in New York City with their two children. And you describe your book as being about learning more about God in the midst of loneliness by entering into the stories and sacred scripture. Jason, Gabriel, welcome to Amplify. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. How what's it like living in New York City? Boy, you're in the midst of so much right at this moment. There's been a lot uh, going on during this time. It's we were at the center of the coronavirus uh, for the last several weeks, and <clears throat> we're still uh, we're still not quite yet at stage one of reopening. And of course, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of protests and and unrest now in the wake of George Floyd's death. And so there's a lot going on in New York, that is for sure. How do you, how do you look at all of this uh, when people, and we're not, I'm, I'm not going to spend the program talking about this because loneliness factors into this. Um, sure. how, how do you respond to people who believe that God is punishing us in some way? Oh, yeah, I don't think that God is punishing us. Uh, I, I, well, the way I would respond to somebody who, who asks or wonders whether God's punishing us, I would probably ask them why they think that. Um, if I look throughout history, uh, there, there are many times throughout history of very difficult circumstances that, that, um, that we go through. And uh, I, I tend to emphasize God's presence in suffering and in difficult times as opposed to God's absence. I think there's always an element of both. 
but what I most want students, so young people or all people really to, to hear and to experience is the, the God who makes himself present in the midst of suffering. So, And he is always present there, and sometimes it's suffering that brings us uh, to him. And it turns yeah. turns the table on Lucifer in many ways. Uh, it can. Yeah. Uh, through the power of God's love, we come to understand as we reach out and open our hearts, I think, uh, even more. But let's talk about let's talk about uh, loneliness. Um, wait with me, meeting God in loneliness. At the beginning of your book, you describe uh, a conversation that you had with the Jesuit ministry uh, who you had visited and, and told you to be human is to be lonely. And the story of faith and imagination that I just told re reflects uh, what I believe Jesus thinks about uh, loneliness. Uh, and that then seems to include all of us, to be human, mm. to be lonely. But how can you make sense of the deep loneliness of God. And so the platform for, for your book is the loneliness that you had experienced in your own life and the loneliness that exists all around us. And so I can be sure you know what you're talking about. When you read the book, you certainly know that. But how did that conversation you have change your life? Yeah, um, because I thought, because I thought, I was experiencing loneliness, and I thought that the, if I was experiencing loneliness, there must be something wrong with me. And that was the first. That was the first thing that really changed. Was you know because I was in a season of incredibly full ministry. We do campus ministry, as you alluded to. We constantly had students in our home. We had young children at, at the time, and they had their friends. And you know our home was all kind of full of. Uh, young children energy and we were I was leading a number of prayer groups and, and Bible study groups from our church in our home and so our home was constantly full of people and I would often and I was engaged very deeply in ministry but feeling very lonely and I thought well there must be something really wrong with me uh, I must be doing it wrong I don't know I don't understand how this is going and what uh, Father Ugo did was he listened to me deeply, and then he said, to be human is to be lonely. Loneliness is the experience of, of people who live around the corner and, and live on the street. It's the experience of the people who are working all the time on Wall Street. It's the experience of people all over the world. To be human is to be lonely, and it was even the experience of Jesus himself. And I began to realize in, after that conversation that maybe loneliness wasn't something that was wrong with me, uh, but maybe it was something, it was a context, an opportunity to know God. And I'd never thought of loneliness like that before. And it was so intriguing to me that I was, I was really anxious or excited to get into the scriptures Right. and prayer and contemplation to understand how can how can I use this loneliness, these lonely feelings, to draw me into a deeper knowledge of God. 
And uh, right at the beginning of the book and uh, even throughout the book, you point out um, that you believe modern technology, the social media, feed that loneliness and that we've never been ever. We've never been lonelier uh, than we yeah. are at this particular time. And, and that image, I didn't, I didn't read the book Bowling Alone, but boy, is that, that, that is such a strong image, Bowling Alone, when, when, you're mm-hmm. thinking, when you think about it. It is. And, and um, the author of the book, Robert Putnam, who wrote Bowling Alone, wrote it in the mid-1990s. And he was intrigued by the statistic, even in the late 1990s, he was intrigued by the statistic that more people were bowling in the United States during those days than ever before. And fewer bowling leagues were happening than ever before, you know, less so more people were bowling, but they were doing it as individuals. And fewer and fewer people were, were bowling together and connecting together. And, you know, it's been a long time since uh, yes. the 1990s. What I think technology has done, and a lot of our social media technology and smartphones have done, is they've accelerated the trends of individualism that were already deeply rooted in our culture and they've just created a very powerful platform to accelerate that and and it's very very powerful you know i work with college students and have done for 20 years and uh, it's incredible a study was recently done by cigna which is a a, a health insurance uh, company and they were trying to get a handle on how people experience loneliness and what was so interesting is that when you think about loneliness as a problem you tend to think of older people who maybe are living uh, a less active life than they used to or maybe grieving the death of a spouse and so you think it's the older generation that's most vulnerable to loneliness but according to the study that Cigna did they divided it out by generations and up to two-thirds of the, the, the Generation Z, the kids who are just entering college now, are self-identifying loneliness as, a, as something that is a major recurring significant problem in their lives as compared to uh, older generations that are not expressing uh, the need for that as much. And, and I think a major part of that is this technology, which is highly addictive, uh, designed to have us spend more and more and more time on it. And it draws us away from interactions in person into a digital space where uh, we have so much less uh, connection points. And so you know, I'm not a Luddite. I don't think technology is evil or anything like that. But I, I do think that that there it is our, our social media, our, our smartphones, and a lot of the technologies that we're using are actually uh, making the problem of loneliness worse. Yeah, we're going to talk a whole lot about that uh, as we go on. But um, you also indicate you believe that loneliness is a spiritual Problem, and if it's a spiritual problem, and to be human is to be lonely, and we've never been lonelier than we have uh, 
been in the past, then that must contribute. What's going on in the world today with the coronavirus mm. and with the unrest over the need for developing racial healing uh, must make it even more difficult for for us. Yes, I, I I believe that loneliness is a spiritual problem, and and I believe that we need spiritual solutions. Uh, I think this is a, a exhilarating time to be in ministry and to be engaging in the life of faith. And I think it's an exhilarating time because I think it's so needed in this in this moment in this generation. If we think about it theologically loneliness is the is the only form of only problem major problem or disorientation or or disease if you will the only major problem that human beings have which is prelapsarian which is to say there was loneliness before adam and eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis 1 tells this incredibly poetic story about God creating the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2 tells the story about God making the man and the garden. And over and over again in Genesis 1, there's this recurring, there's this recurring statement, it was good. God saw and it was good. God saw it was good. That happens seven times in the poem in Genesis 1. And you get this pattern, and then in Genesis 2, you get this God sees that the man is alone, and God says, this is not good. And it's really powerful uh, that there's a problem. There's a problem in this creation that God made, or there's something that's not good, even in the midst of this perfect and wonderful creation that God has made. And so loneliness is uh, something that goes all the way down into us, not just as, not just as um, herd animals or not just as, as social beings, but as spiritual beings. We are made for connection with, with ourselves, with God, and with one another. And so we need spiritual solutions to our, our problems of loneliness. And I think you're absolutely right that the problems of loneliness actually make all of our other problems that we have in our world today so much more uh, difficult. Did you point out uh, that uh, you believe that uh, loneliness is an invitation to grow your friendship with God. So again, that touches back on what we, how we started the program by saying that the challenges we face in our life are invitations from God uh, to come closer. And um, let me just raise before the before we take our first break that you refer to a list of biblical examples, Old Testament and New Testament examples of people who met God in their loneliness, kind of a, a proof that, that indeed it is true. Um, and uh, I'll just uh, speak, speak about them. You can use whatever examples you want later in the program. Abraham, uh, Moses, uh, Jacob, Elijah, Nehemiah, Job, Esther, 
Uh, Mary, if we get into now, Mary chose loneliness in her embrace of God's call. Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Paul experienced loneliness in his mission. And ultimately, Jesus experienced, you write, the deepest loneliness of all as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll take this break and we'll be back. Welcome back to Amplify, where our guest this evening is Jason Gabery. We're talking about his book, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness. Uh, we've already stated that uh, to be human is to be lonely, and loneliness can foster many problems, including fear at a time of a pandemic and also a time of uh, racial unrest. And um, we were talking when we left the first break about how loneliness is a spiritual program and that loneliness is an invitation to grow in your friendship with God. And someone might ask, Jason, how can I respond to the invitation then to to grow in my relationship with God, to God's work of transformation in me, to a deeper life with God? And so uh, the key to the book, I think, to understand it is, tell us about the different approach that you have taken to to Scripture and how it has changed your life. Yeah, thanks for that. I have, I've, I've loved Scripture for a long time. I've loved the Bible for a long time, even taught the Bible for a long time. But it wasn't until I was in this conversation and series of conversations with this Jesuit uh, priest and spiritual director that I began to read the scriptures with my heart and mind together to read the scriptures to enter in i call it in the book entering into scripture and you just read a list of of characters before we went on the break there's so many people in the pages of scripture so many of the 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 patriarchs the, the fathers and mothers of the faith who went into these periods of loneliness and isolation, and they met God. And so uh, Father Ugo encouraged me to read the scriptures, not just for information, but for transformation. Not just with my, with my mind kind of observing the stories and wondering how might this apply to me, but with my heart and with my emotions and my imagination, placing myself into those moments of vulnerability, like where when Jacob, who spends all of his, his life trying to grasp after uh, getting stuff that's going to help him to be secure, and he ends up being in this incredibly vulnerable spot, and he ends up wrestling with this stranger in the dark, and, and just kind of imagining myself in that moment with Jacob or as Jacob grappling with, uh, with that. Or, or sitting with Job, or uh, imagining what it must have been like for Hagar. Uh, and and as, you, as I enter into the scriptures with my heart and my mind, I discovered that uh, the scriptures and God's presence in the scriptures became alive to me in ways that were so uh, incredibly attractive and rich and full and beautiful and it it helped open up space for me to say if god for me to imagine since god has met people 
in these moments of vulnerability, in these moments of loneliness before, then God has something to say through their story to me and my feelings too. And um, tell us a little bit about uh, the structure of uh, your book. We'll begin with your wife's story. Um, but mm. as an example about how you have structured your book so that indeed um, God can transform us when we read a biblical story from inside rather than from outside. We actually get into the story, which is what I try to do with stories of faith and imagination. Uh, yeah. but, and the, to me, the structure is you have stories of the you have you enter into the scriptures in each chapter in some way, but you tell a story of how people have entered struggled with God and have met success. But tell us a little bit about that structure that we can look forward to in reading each chapter. Yeah, yeah. The whole book is structured uh, on the contemplative, the classical contemplative journey. So. So I've, you know, sort of, there's a part of the, the first part of the book is about leaving and it's about purging. And, and then there's a, there are kind of the middle parts are really about learning and illumination. And the last parts of the book are really about union with Christ. And, and as you know, that's the path of the, that's the kind of the broadly speaking, the path of the, of the Christian transformative journey. But inside each chapter, I want to tell a story that uh, is a contemporary story, because to draw a parallel between, you know, these stories that we read about in Scripture, they're not just things that happened a long time ago. Uh, sure, there are cultural differences, and sure, there are, there are um, things that we might need to learn or to think about in order to appreciate the stories, but people are still people. And our experiences haven't changed that much. And so in the, in the chapter that you reference, I begin with telling the story of my wife's uh, coming to the United States. Uh, my wife immigrated to the United States when she was a child, and she was confronted as an 11-year-old girl with a really hard decision uh, to, to leave suddenly uh, from her home country and, and travel to the States uh, with, uh, her, with a parent um, and, or in, perhaps not see uh, the Philippines again or uh, to stay in the Philippines and perhaps not see her, her parents again. And that's a really hard, that's a really hard, really painful decision. And, and yet, and it, it, and it was a challenge um, with the contemporary story, but it's not, it's not that unusual a story. Uh, there are, there are, there are uh, millions of people who are experiencing displacement all over the world today and who have left or fled or are uh, experiencing, experiencing sudden reasons why they've had to uproot their family and move to a different place. And so that's, that contemporary story actually helps us to appreciate and enter into the story. I tell the story of both Hagar, uh, well, no, not in this chapter. I tell the story of, uh, in that chapter, I tell the story of, of Adam, and Eve, Adam yes. and Eve and the three uh, leavings 
in the book of Genesis. And uh, Adam and Eve, when they managed to leave his father and mother, so the goodness that's made possible by leaving, and then they're leaving the garden, which is the kind of the disruptive, difficult part of leaving. And then uh, the call of Abraham, uh, where Abraham is called to leave his his country, his context, his his culture, and go into the place that God is going to show him. And then, so I, I, I go back and forth looking at the contemporary story and the biblical story and trying to draw the, the themes together in a way that will help readers as they read it. I want readers to, to be able to see, oh, I can relate to this story. I know this story. I've experienced a part of this story, this contemporary story, or I know people for whom this story might be true. And then, oh, and maybe I didn't know that, that those were some of the underlying dynamics that are going on in the biblical story. And then to see how God is at work in the biblical story, then that can illumine how God is at work in my story in the present too. So it's this, it's this movement from the, the current stories into the scriptural world and back again. Uh, in in the uh, world of studying the scriptures, we call that hermeneutics, yes. where you kind of go around the, the the spiral of in the world into the world of the story, and then into our contemporary world, and then back into the world of the story, and so on. And so, I want to take readers on this journey from contemporary their contemporary experience into the scripture experience and then back again um thank you for that uh and i want to make sure that i get to the end of the book because that's so critically important in bringing it all together and so what i'd like to do is just yeah. summarize a little bit about some of the stories and have you pick one or two that you that you feel move that you'd like to talk about tonight you've already talked about genesis uh and the commands yeah. the first command is not good for man to to be alone, that it's, it's meant to heal loneliness and to become one in purpose. And it's not just romantic love. And, and you write about um, how you understand your call to marriage or singleness. The second commandment is uh, you can't get home again. Is that a punishment, a curse? Because sometimes it's better to leave home. The third command is it restores hope. You leave home as a promise and I will, I will bless you. And Abram begins a life of friendship and a long journey with God. And and also, we remember that Jesus left, left home. And in the yeah. desert, you talk about Patricia. And I want to, I just want to, let me go run through some of the stories. I want to come back to Patricia um, and uh, see how you believe that you are part of the story that uh, in terms of what you mean by desert spirituality and um, Moses' story of leadership uh, uh, applies here. And uh, then there was a story you tell about uh, Jason Duff, who was desperately alone at 28, even though he had accomplished so much more. And you, you write about the, the gift in the dark and that uh, this friend who seemed to have everything commits suicide. I, I like the one about your four-year-old under the, 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 the uh, section on listen uh, your four-year-old had a spiritual crisis, wanted to know why Jesus didn't come when she prayed for him, to, to, you know, to come. 
and you have the story yeah. of Elijah in, in six six chapter. Your mom leaves home suddenly, unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. Both mom and dad active in the church, and you speak about denial as collusion, and the language of despair, and the there is profound loneliness in despair, and the story of La of Lazarus, and then. The story of, of Jonathan would certainly fit at this time. How does activism mm -hmm. get get lonely? The story of Esther. And um, then as we get towards the end, you speak about Zachariah's story, about Mary, about how you believe uh, smartphones are today's cigarettes. And are, mm -hmm. we, are we addicted? And then um, about uh, pastoral leadership. You're called to pastoral leadership when you didn't expect it. I can tell you, I've been called to many things I never expected in my whole life. That's that's almost been my whole life. Uh, but that that's another story, and and uh, the lonely calling of of Saint Paul, and then you get back to of of Prophet Ugo once again. Uh, he is, and you're hurt when he asks you that you love Jesus, but how can you love someone you don't really know? But that opens your heart, your mind, and your soul to something, and I want to talk about that. So I just want people to have a good sense of these stories that have been so important in your life, and you, we can relate them to the stories of Scripture that also should be so important in our life, uh, especially as we get begin to understand them. But if we go to to um, to, to begin continue our discussion on the title of Desert in chapter 3, you tell the story of Patricia. Patricia was sold to a local gang at the age of 16 because her parents could not afford to support their family. She was trafficked at a cantina in her rural community in Central America before being brought to New York by an abusive boyfriend. Once here, he moved Patricia from one brothel to another. She had no contact with her family and never had enough time in any one brothel to form friendships. Other than her relationship with her trafficker, she was completely alone. Patricia was trafficked from in this way for almost a decade. While being trafficked, she gave birth to Marta and Luis. When Luis was one, Patricia reached out to an organization serving domestic violence victims. She was identified as a trafficking victim and you tell the story of Hagar comment on just this this on the story of Patricia and Hagar yeah well I saw the I saw the connection between uh, Hagar is is a fascinating story because she is the, the the slave the Egyptian slave that becomes Sarai's surrogate uh, mother uh, or for Abram or Abraham, and she bears Ishmael. And it, it's so interesting because, you know, we tend to think of the of the these families in, in the scriptures as though they sort of walked above, you know, two feet above the work, the ground. They 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 didn't make mistakes and 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 do bad things. But uh, Sarah's relationship with Hagar and Abraham's relationship with Hagar is very, very difficult. And Abraham uh, acquires, or Sarah acquires uh, Hagar when Abram goes to Egypt. 
and uh, she is given to to them uh, by Pharaoh in part because Abram lies about Sarah, his wife, and uh, exposes Sarah to this incredible, profound vulnerability of being taken into Pharaoh's household. It, and and then some years later, um, <clears throat> Sarah is passes on that same kind of vulnerability uh, to Hagar, uh, both by making her a surrogate and then again by casting her out. Um, and so I, I see this this kind of incredible vulnerability that Hagar experiences, and I think about all of the the women. And it's mostly women who are are trafficked around the world, and I think about the incredible vulnerability that they're experiencing, and um, and the what I appreciate about the story of Hagar is Hagar is the first person in Scripture. And most people don't don't realize this, but Hagar is the first person in the Book of Genesis to name God. So God is referred to, and people have relationship with God. Uh, before Hagar, but Hagar is the first person to say, to say, to this is I I I I call this God. I'm going to call this God by a particular name, and she names God the God who sees me. And I thought, for someone like Patricia, for the for the people who are in these kinds of moments of incredible vulnerability and abuse and trauma. How important it is that that God sees them in the midst of their vulnerability and in the midst of the difficult, uh, in the midst of the incredibly incredibly difficult uh, situations that they're in. Patricia's story is a is a success story, if you will. It's a it's a uplifting story because uh, she was able to get the help that she needed to get out of her vulnerability and experience restoration and and a new life and very grateful for that um but the 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 truth is and and it's an it's a uh, it's an important piece that i i'm trying to help readers to see is that even in the even in our most vulnerable moments the moments where we experience injustice, the moments where we experience incredible pain uh, and vulnerability, even in those moments, uh, God sees us. God isn't aloof. He's not looking down with crossed arms, uh, but God God sees. Uh, God is paying attention, and God is present. Right. You... Uh... You point out also that Moses' leadership story begins in failure. We have to re- we have to we have to remember we have to remember that. And uh, you 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 introduce um, the concept of desert spirituality, and you, you indicate that Moses' story becomes the main text for desert spirituality. If I can read from the book, the desert calls us to humility, the ability to love as God loves. Being with God in the desert frees us from the crushing weight of failure and the anxieties that paralyze. True humility, the gift of the desert, frees us from the need for approval, validation, security, and success. The journey into the desert is painful. 
Meeting God in the desert strips these visions bare. It gives us humility, the ability to love as God loves, fearless, generous, and free. And uh, how are you a part of this story? Because you had a taste of desert spirituality. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I relate to desert spirituality in the sense of I, one of the first failures in my life was uh, in the 90s. I, not first failures in my life, but one of the failures that uh, really helped shape my life was in the, I started acting professionally when I was a teenager, young teen, and, and I experienced a lot of success pretty early on. And uh, I'd, I'd only ever thought I was going to do uh, life in the arts. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of the work dried up, all the opportunities disappeared. I just felt like I couldn't get it. I couldn't get a break. And, uh, and I remember over and over again, just kind of trying to wrap my head around um, what was going on and just feeling like a failure. Uh, I, I toured the country doing auditions. I, I gone after uh, different opportunities and just felt like a failure. And I remember just feeling so uh, empty and vulnerable as this thing that had been so important to me felt like it was being stripped away um, and I didn't want it to be. And, uh, and yet uh, through those experiences of feeling like I failed and this ambition that I had, uh, I began to know uh, friendship with God. I began to experience trust in, with God that I, I hadn't known in that way before. And uh, I hope that whatever our failures are, our sense of failures are, uh, that readers can uh, relate to those stories and then uh, also begin to contemplate how God is at, is presenting himself to them in friendship as well, even in those moments. Right, because there's no sense that uh, we each have our own stories to tell. I would imagine some, yeah. some people are beginning to think of their own stories right now, and certainly by when we finish the program, 